0: Job 34, verses 1 through 37. Hear, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. In spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers, and walks with wicked men? For he has said, It profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding, Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him, and according to his ways, he will make it befall him. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth, and who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, All flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty, who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands? In a moment they die. At midnight, the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand. For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, He overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see, because they turned aside from following Him and had no regard for any of His ways. So that they caused the cry of the poor to come to Him, and He heard the cry of the afflicted. When He is quiet, who can condemn? When He hides His face, who can behold Him, whether it be a nation or a man? that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. For has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend any more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I. Therefore declare what you know. Men of understanding will say to me, And the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. Would that, Job were tried to the end, because he answers like wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Thanks be to God for his holy word this morning. In chapter 33, Elihu responded to Job's accusation that God will not answer man's words, that he no longer speaks. Elihu said in response to this that God does speak. He speaks in a few ways, so you better listen. And the question that God's word demands of all of us is, are you listening? Are you paying careful attention? Because God is speaking, and here he speaks Through his prophet, Elihu, to Job. Later in the book, you get the sense that Job was not listening very well, as he should have, and it would be God himself who will come and speak to him in chapter 38. But in the meantime, God will prepare Job by speaking through Elihu. And in Job chapter 34, Elihu begins to correct Job. Job questioned God's goodness and justice because of all that he had been through. This is where a lot of people are in the world today. If God is good, then why does he allow evil? Why did he allow bad things to happen to me? I haven't done anything wrong. So to many people this proves that God does not exist or that God is not good. Although we ought to be sympathetic to what people are going through, yet we need to be reminded of who God is and that He is good and that He is just. Let us consider what Elihu says in chapter 34. So Elihu begins as a herald, he calls out to the wise men in the area. Uh, This is a general call. He is not speaking solely to Job, nor is he only speaking to Job's, quote-unquote, wise friends. He is inviting whoever is walking about in the area, specifically the wise elders of us, to listen. He says, give ear to me, you who know. Those who have studied these things, those who know wisdom. Is what Job said true about God See, the whole story of the book of Job is that arguments have been thrown back and forth. And we are to listen with our ears as if they were mouths with taste buds and test which arguments taste the best. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. And if there is a bad taste, it is probably not the best food to be eating and digesting. Instead, he says that we are to choose what is right, what tastes the best. Isn't that what we do when we prepare food? Any good cook would know this. I'm not a good cook, so I kind of stay away from the kitchen. But he's saying here, let us know among ourselves what is good. We're not going to taste or we're not going to serve what is not good. So let us test what Job has said so far and see if it is good for food. Let us test and see if what Job has said is the way we ought to think about God and how he governs the world. He has been right about his friends, but has he been right about God? And what he has said so far has to do with whether or not God is just. Is God just? Job said... No. For Job has said, I am in the right, which was true. And God has taken away my right. Uh, The word used for right here has to do with Job being just and God granting Job justice. Has God treated Job with justice? Job has denied this. He said this back in chapter 27. In spite of his right standing before God, he says that God has counted him a liar back in Chapter 16, although Job was without transgression, he accuses God of wounding him with a wound that is incurable, a wound that far too many people seem to relate to today. Many people believe that God has turned his back on them and that there is no hope in their own circumstances. They believe the lie that God is this big, mean tyrant and dictator who plays tricks on his people. This was the lie that Eve believed in the Garden of Eden, that God was holding out on man. He was keeping something to himself. The original lie told by the serpent was that God is unjust. For God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent was saying to Eve, See, God is unjust. He's holding out on you. So worship and serve me because I will never do that. And that same lie and deceit is being played out in the world today. So Elihu asks the people, the wise men in town, What man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water? Which is another way of asking Which man is like Job who believed the lies of Satan? He is drinking and consuming what Eve believed. He scoffed at God's goodness. He denied God's justice. He is like evildoers and wicked men. Why? Because he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. Now at first glance, you may be saying to yourself, Elihu sounds a lot like Job's friends who wrongly accused Job. Eliphaz says in chapter 15, verse 16, that Job was abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. What's the difference? First, notice that Elihu doesn't accuse Job of secret sins like his friends did. He is not saying that Job is suffering because of his secret sin. No, He is accusing Job of public sins. He is reacting to what Job has actually said about God. Job has scoffed at God and questioned his justice. Also, notice he is not calling Job an evildoer or a wicked man. He is saying that Job sounds like an evildoer or wicked man. He he is lining himself up with evildoers. He travels in their company, and he is walking with wicked men because of what he has said. It's similar to when Job told his wife that she sounds like a foolish woman, not that she was a foolish woman. Here, Job sounded like he was believing what wicked men would say about God. But come on, Job. You know better than this. He would be saying to the Christian, come on, Christian." You know better than this. So, in caring for the honor of God and his good name, Elihu responds to Job by publicly rebuking what Job has said. And this is his argument against Job's argument here. First, he says that God is just because God is God. Secondly, God is just and he will judge justly. And lastly, God is just, so Job must repent. First, Elihu declares to the men of understanding, the wise men, that God is just because of who he is. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. The Almighty does no wrong. This is an attribute of God. God is good. God is holy, and he is just in his judgment of men. He will repay everyone according to their works and according to his ways. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Uh, Again, this sounds like Bildad in chapter 8, verse 3, when he asked, Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? But the difference is that Job's friends only spoke about God's just judgment when it came to the punishment of the wicked. But Elihu speaks of God's judgment in the way he governs the whole world. He is simply asking, who gave God charge over the earth? And who laid on God the whole world? The reason why the world is governed at all is because there is a governor, capital G, behind the scenes. The reason why there is a justice system anywhere is because there is a just God. Everything is derived from God. Nobody gave God anything to do. Nobody appointed Him to create the world, nor does anyone appoint Him to judge the world. No one put God in charge, in other words. And He is not dependent on us to govern the world everything comes from him and everything will flow back to him. This is why Paul sang his doxology, a New Testament song in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If he should set his heart to it, he could end it all right now. If he wanted to, He could take all of life and breath from his creatures and gather his children into his kingdom, and all flesh would perish and man would return to the dust. So, who does man think he is to challenge this God? Who does man think he is that he is even a challenge to God? God is just because God is God. That is his nature. He cannot be anything but just. To challenge that would be to challenge the very nature of who God is. Unfortunately, this has been the natural disposition of man since after his fall into sin. After the fall, we naturally shake our fist at God. We say to him, I had a better plan for my life. If I was to govern the world, I would have done it better. My life would have been better. I would have more money. I would have better health. My relationships would have been better. I would have never lost any of my loved ones the way that I did. Now, we may not say it that way. But when we question God's goodness in the midst of our pain and our sorrow that is what we're saying now this doesn't mean that we'll never have sorrow but when we do have sorrow we are to remember as God's children he has promised to be with us as a friend and as a comforter and that in his timing our sorrow will be turned to joy secondly Elihu turns and addresses Job. He says, if you have understanding, if you are a man of wisdom as you claim to be, hear this. Listen to what I say. And he explains that since God is just, he is to be confident that God is going to judge justly one day. So Elihu rejects the idea that Job has argued throughout the book that God is all-powerful, while at the same time he hates justice. If that is the case, then how can he govern? This would go against his nature, because God's justice and his mighty power go hand in hand. He is both righteous and mighty, and he does judge justly. He describes the way he judges justly in four ways. First, he judges without partiality. He is not like humans. He is not influenced by someone's status or achievements. He says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man. He doesn't show partiality to princes, nor does he favor the rich over the poor, why? Because they are all the work of his hands. He created them all, and he decides the exact moment that they will be taken away. It only seems sudden to us, but not to God. As I follow the news. Whenever a famous celebrity dies, suddenly I'm in shock. I I go over to the next room, uh, the dining room, and I tell my wife about it and she has a look on her face like she's not surprised at all. And uh, I, I go away dumbfounded. But anyway, it's only sudden to us, but not to God. It all falls within His perfect plan. In a moment they die, At midnight, the people are shaken and pass away. And the so-called mighty are not taken away by human hand nor human will, but by the will and timing and by the mighty hand of God. It all falls within his perfect plan. Second, he judges with perfect knowledge. His eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. There is no dark corner nor shadow where evildoers can hide themselves. There is nowhere to hide. He knows what is in man. He doesn't need to consider man any further as if he needs to call man into a courtroom and cross-examine him. This reminds me of Jesus when it says of him, He needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. He doesn't need to investigate man as if he was a detective investigating a crime. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night and they are crushed. Third, his judgment will be public. He strikes them for all their wickedness in a place for all to see because they turned aside from following him and had no regard for any of his ways. And what are his ways? His ways are just. And justice for the poor and the needy. But the unjust have caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. They publicly shamed others, so they too will be shamed in public. Fourth, he judges in his own timing. When he is quiet, when it seems as if God is not doing anything, Who can condemn him for it? When he hides his face, when it seems as if he has removed his favor from us, who can behold him? In other words, who can find God and force him to bless us? No one, no nation, no man. No one can force the timing of his justice. Remember what Peter says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. We may say to ourselves sometimes, man, God is taking a long time to change my life, to change the church. To change the world. What we consider to be slow is not slow to God. It is part of his secret will why he hasn't returned yet. It is part of his secret will why he hasn't stopped all the wars, why he hasn't stopped the persecution of Christians, the corruption of leaders, his enemies, diseases, etc. We have no say in what God does behind the scenes. And that bothers us, doesn't it? Maybe because it doesn't immediately and directly benefit us. We want to know why things aren't working out in our lives as we thought they would. We want to know why everything He has taught us to put in practice isn't working out practically. I've taught my children the word of the Lord all my life. I've catechized them in the faith. And they have all left the faith. I lived a godly example for my friends and family. But I haven't seen much change in them. Why is God not working? My question would be, who said he is not working? Remember when Jesus responded to the Jews with, My father is working until now, and I am working. What was he doing? He was upholding the universe by the word of his power. And even if he is inactive, and I put that in quotes, we can't charge God with wrong. See, we believe that because we put his word into practice, now we deserve a right to sit on his throne. But we don't. If we continue to think this way, this this leads to burnout. Right? We believe because we have done A and B, then C ought to happen. That will lead to burnout. That is not why we put his word into practice. Okay. His supposed inaction does not mean he is not just. And just because things are not going as they are supposed to be going does not mean he is not sovereign over everything. Because he has promised that a godless man will not reign and that he will not trap God's people forever. But notice, there are godless leaders in power all around the world today. It has been like this for quite some time now. If you want a timeline, we can go back thousands and thousands of years to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. We get a little blip in history when things are okay for God's people in the book of Joshua. Then it is downhill, a little uphill, then downhill again. Thousands of years later, we're back at it again. But God is just. He will not be mocked. I guarantee you. Remember, even when the world is crumbling around us, we are always in a better place as Christians. We're always in a better place. Paul rejoiced even in prison as the church was being persecuted from the outside and from within the church. Today, I don't hear much rejoicing from Christians. I hear mostly grumbling. Would that we would have the heart of Paul to rejoice over the church, over his promises being fulfilled. The reason why you're here right now in church is because he is true to his promises. May we rejoice in that. But to those who refuse to repent and believe in Christ, who mock him and his return, all we can say is, Wait and you will see. I just hope you turn to him before that day because by then it will be too late. And lastly, this is basically how Elihu warns Job. He says that God is just, so Job must repent of what he has been saying about God. He begins by encouraging Job to admit that he was wrong. For has anyone, he is most likely implying that that anyone is Job, For has anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend anymore? Through this scenario, Elihu is encouraging Job to confess his sin, pray to God and ask him that he would teach him what he does not see, to inform his ignorance, to show him his iniquity, so that Job would vow that he will do it no more. This is one of the functions of the law. When we hear God's word and the law, it should first teach us what we haven't lived up to and draw us to God's mercy in Christ. Because it is either that or does Job expect that God admit that Job is right? Is that what Job wants? Does God owe Job some kind of apology? Does Job... Expect a repayment that God would make up for his wrongs on Job's terms because he rejects God's terms of repentance? Job must choose. He knows what the right thing to do is, and it is to repent of what he has spoken about God. We need to ask these same questions of ourselves And we need to ask the world these same questions. Because I get the feeling that the world, and maybe even some of us, expects God to answer to us on our time. The world demands much from God. They treat God as if they are on the same level with God. As if the world is being governed by their terms. But is God... Obligated to explain himself to the world? Is he obligated to explain himself to us? Is he in some sort of debt to the world or in debt to us? As soon as we say yes, he is no longer God. That's liberal Christianity 101. They confuse God with man. He becomes something of our own imagination. So let us not confuse God with man. Yes, God became man by taking on flesh, but he didn't become man so that we could treat him any less than God. Just read the book of Revelation. So, this is why Elihu concludes that it is Job that has done wrong and Job must repent. And it is not the same argument made by Job's friends. Job's friends accused him of sin prior to his suffering. Elihu says, no, you have sinned after severe suffering, but you still need to repent. Our suffering does not excuse us from repentance. Even in our suffering, we are called to repent. His friends accused him of sins they couldn't prove. Elihu says, these are all sins I can't prove because you said it. And there are plenty of witnesses. He says that the men of wisdom all around us will say to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. These are obvious sins. And Job, you can see, he is convicted in some way because he doesn't talk back to Elihu like he did with his friends. He can't deny the fact that he has sinned. Would that Job were tried to the end? Now this trying is not speaking of putting him through more suffering. But he is speaking about the arguments that are being thrown back and forth. And the testing of his words to see if they are right. Because he answers like wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin through his words. He may be encouraging others to rebel against God. He claps his hands among us. Uh, clapping is an ungodly gesture a version of scoffing and mocking God. And he multiplies his words against God. He just goes on and on. It's not just a slip of his tongue. It is no mistake. He is purposely speaking up against God. So we must decide which argument holds more weight, Job's or Elihu's. Because it is very important how we characterize God and his justice. Elihu is warning Job, Based on what you are saying, you are standing in danger of being judged by God. Why? Because he sounds like he believed the lies of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And just because God is not doing anything about it right now doesn't mean he's never going to do anything about it in the future. Remember, he will appear in chapter 38. Now, think of redemptive history. How many thousands of years went by before the coming of Christ? The Christ who is just because he is the Son of God, who is God, come in the flesh. He is just and he has been appointed to be the judge of the whole world. And he will judge justly without partiality. He saved both rich and poor. He gave the Holy Spirit to Jew and Gentile alike. And through the cross of Christ, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in Christ. He has conquered our enemies on the cross. This was the act of a just God. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you're struggling with God's justice and His timing, let us revisit Peter's words once again from 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So what sort of lives should we live but lives marked by daily repentance? And this doesn't mean that we're always moping around and sad, these sad looks on our faces. But repentance means to turn. It is to turn to the Lord And to rest in his promises of forgiveness. Repentance ought to be a joyful occasion. Yes, it's sad that we have sinned. We ought to grieve over our sin. But the fruit of repentance is being restored in a loving fellowship with God. It is a joy restored. Like when David said when he repented, restore the joy of my salvation. Because for the Christian, God is not an angry dictator, but a loving Heavenly Father. If you are burdened by sin, or burdened by the weight of the world, I say to you, turn to the Lord by faith and rest in His gracious promises today.